are nearing the end of the book of James, so today we'll begin uh, in James 5, verses 13 through 18. I'm actually going to read the scripture today uh, before I speak. So, James 5, 13 through 18. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. The word of the Lord. I learned a new phrase this week that I didn't know before. Vulnerability hangover. You could define it as a surge of regret you feel after sharing a part of yourself with others in a way that you have not done before. Maybe a weakness or a piece of your story that's not easy for you to share and you are unsure how it will be received. Your gut wrenches and you think, oh, why did I tell them that? You may also feel this way after you try something new and it was embarrassing and you wanted to go curl up into a corner. It can also happen in transition times or after one of those awkward conversations. Now, we understand the notion of hangover when too much alcohol has been consumed and the body pays the next day. A vulnerability hangover happens when your anxiety goes through the roof because you feel you have exposed too much of your soul. Now, this term was coined by Dr. Brene Brown, a well-known research professor at the University of Houston and best-selling author. Her work in courage, shame, empathy, and leadership have helped us understand so much more about how we operate as humans. In her famous TED Talk about the power of vulnerability, she says, in our neurobiology, at our most basic cellular level, we are wired to be connected to others. Universally, people find the most meaning and fulfillment when they are attached to others. But the rub is that in order to be connected, we have to be vulnerable. Now, when you look up that word vulnerable in the dictionary, what comes up sounds like nothing we would want. Capable of being physically or emotionally wounded, sounds fun. Or open to attack or damage. And we think, uh, yeah, no thanks. However, Dr. Brown would say that when we let ourselves be known we will find a greater sense of belonging. When we get past our fear, when we figure out exactly what it is that's causing us anxiety, when we don't care what other people think and we truly let them in, we're going to find more purpose and clarity and depth in every aspect of our lives. Here is one of her quotes. Authenticity is a collection of choices that we have to make every day. 
It's about the choice to show up and be real, the choice to be honest, the choice to let our true selves be seen. Now, I think if James lived in 2019, he would have a few of her books on his shelf. Seriously, I think he would have liked her work. Maybe because I think he must have been a very self-aware guy, as we have seen going through this book, that he pushed people to keep growing, to keep being truthful about who they are. And because in the collection of verses that we study today, he is advocating for the church to be real, for the church to be vulnerable. Now, this is one of my favorite sections in the book of James. It tells us what to do when life is at its extreme. It's a reminder that God is near, that no matter what we are experiencing, we are connected to the Lord and to his body. It's a beautiful thing. But in order to be truly connected, we have to be vulnerable. So, in this beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to be, James is telling us to be vulnerable, telling us what we should do at certain points in our journey. But we like to keep our distance. We like to put up barriers and to take care of ourselves. But James says we have to let others in. And that's where healing and forgiveness and answered prayer come into our lives. It's how we find true belonging in the church. To follow Christ means living in community where we become more of who it is that he has created us to be. But this only happens when we let ourselves be known. You will see that prayer is mentioned in every single verse. When God calls us to be open, he is right there with us, giving us what we need. Robert Law reminds us of this. Prayer is not getting our will done in heaven. It's getting God's will done on earth. So today we're going to touch on four ways that James tells us to be vulnerable in this passage. There is something here for you today. There is something that the Lord wants to say through his spirit. And I pray that we will all listen and be open to him. Point one, James tells us to be vulnerable to God in praise. Now, we're going to talk about suffering in a minute, but let's talk about how singing songs of praise is a posture of openness before the Lord. His presence fills us and speaks to us. James says, are there any cheerful, which means are there any of good heart? When we come into worship, where is our heart? Are we rejoicing? Are we thanking him regardless of our circumstances? It's interesting that James begins with two extremes of life, suffering and cheer. Sometimes it's in those moments of despair and also in great joy that we're not as open with God as we might want to be. In our suffering, it can be difficult to connect with him because we're in so much grief Because we wonder maybe where he is. And when life is fantastic, we can forget our need for the Lord. James tells us to acknowledge him in all circumstances. The truth that we want to hold on to here is that our worship isn't contingent in what happens in our lives. Being able to praise him in any situation shows a maturity in him. Think about all the music of the church. 
The great hymns full of theology, choruses old and new, classical oratorios and chorales and cantatas and Gregorian chant and gospel tunes. I love the different languages and styles around the world. We're exhorted here and in other places in scripture to sing and to make music the point of it, regardless of whether or not it's our preference musically, is to lift up the Lord, to allow him to be glorified in the congregation of the righteous. It's in that worship that our hearts are meant to be open to his, to enter into his living and holy and majestic presence. But this requires vulnerability. It's a decision to allow our souls to connect with him in a way that is meaningful in worship. I'm not talking about emotion. I'm talking about truly meeting with God in praise. In heaven, God is worshipped all of the time. We are going to spend eternity in worship. So I would encourage us to continue to develop an understanding of what that means now in this place on earth. As our relationship with him grows, so does our concept of how we are able to meet with him and connect with him. How do you meet with him in music and in singing? Second, James tells us to be vulnerable to the community of faith in prayer. He says, are any of you sick? Call for the elders of the church and have them pray over you, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. Sometimes it's pretty hard for us to ask for help. It's vulnerable for us to ask someone to say, please come, I'm I'm not doing well. Could you pray for me? We're happy to pray for others, but asking for ourselves can be a challenge because it feels weak. Maybe it feels unnecessary. Sometimes I have people say to me, oh, don't worry about me, pastor. I'll be fine. There are so many other people that you need to go and pray for. And I say, sit down. We're going to pray right now. Seeking the Lord for healing has deep roots in Jewish tradition. People wouldn't call a doctor, but they would call their rabbi who would come and anoint and pray. There's a Jewish saying about this. He who prays surrounds his house with a wall stronger than iron. They understood that it was through prayer that God's strength and sustaining power was most evident. Jesus spent much of his time praying over those who were afflicted. The early church was devoted to praying for the needs of the suffering. The first Christians practiced exactly what James was writing about, and we carry on this important work. Clement, uh, an early church father, said, Heal the sick, raise up the weak, cheer the faint-hearted. James tells them to call the leaders of the church. We do this often. Sometimes I'm asked, why do we anoint the sick with oil? Well, a huge reason is because of this passage in James. It's unique in the New Testament. It's one of the only ones that gives instructions in this way. In Mark 6, Jesus sends out his disciples, and it says they anointed with oil those who needed to be healed and prayed for them. We anoint not because there's anything special in the oil, but because it's a symbol of God's living presence as we pray in faith for someone. 
We make the sign of the cross on their forehead and pray over them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, trusting that he is with us in that moment, trusting that he has something for them. Have you considered how vulnerable prayer is? To pray with someone is to open our very soul to them. To pour out your heart and agree in prayer shows who we are. It shows what our trust in God is like. Jesus told us, where a few of you are gathered in my name, I'm going to be there with you, infusing you with my power and grace and truth. What a deep fellowship we have when we pray for one another. So much is sparked in our hearts and minds as we hear other people praying. God ministers to all and raises up the sick. Now, we know that we don't always get what we want in prayer, but that's not the point of talking to God, is it? The point is to seek him and to be led by him in the situation in which you lift up. It's to exercise our faith, believing in his great love for each one of us, not just seeking the outcome that we want. It's admitting our frailty, our dependence, our vulnerability. In prayer, we come in dependence to the one who holds our life in his hands. What's going on in your life right now where you need prayer? An ongoing physical need, a family situation, a problem at work? How are you burdened and overwhelmed? Call on the body of Christ to come alongside of you, to lay hands on you, to pray for you, be vulnerable in that way. That is how God brings breakthroughs in our lives is when we ask his spirit to come and his people are there and he is there in the middle of us. May we grow in what it means to pray for one another and lift one another up. Thirdly, James tells us to be vulnerable to ourselves in confession. Actually, he tells us to confess our sins to one another. But before we do that, we have to be honest with ourselves about our own wrongdoing. It's important that we pay attention to what is going on inside of our souls, seeking forgiveness. It's interesting that James ties confession into healing here. This makes sense because we are connected physically and emotionally, spiritually, and relationally. If something is not right in one sphere, it affects the rest of us. It may be that James is linking ill, being ill with sin, which can occur. But often in prayer, for one thing, something else will come up. When we talk to God, he speaks to us. He shows us in prayer where we have missed the mark, leading to repentance. While we have a great high priest, Jesus, to whom we confess the trespasses and debts we incur, we don't have a need for a human authority to confess our sins to. Confession is very good for us. It's important to have our souls exposed to one another in a way that also brings healing. How freeing it is to tell another person what we have done or failed to do in word, thought, or deed. To be able to ask for forgiveness, trusting in the care of your brother or sister is part of the gift that Jesus' death and resurrection gives us. All of us are sinners. All of us are need the grace and the mercy of our God. In his book, Communion and Confession, 
uh, Bonhoeffer gives good reasons for mutual confession. The most pressing reason, he says, is because sin isolates us. It drives us from community. He must have had great experience with this because listen to what he says. Confession in the presence of a brother is the profoundest kind of humiliation. It hurts. It cuts a person down. It is a dreadful blow to pride. To stand there before a brother as a sinner is a disgrace that is almost unbearable. In the confession of concrete sins, the old man dies a painful, shameful death before the eyes of a brother. To sit with someone as they pour out their heart is to offer a gift of presence. Confession brings mutual accountability and a more profound trust in God. To have someone accept you as you are, as you tell them your sins, is to have a weight lifted off. It is to bear one another's burdens. Unconfessed sin leads to more pain. So if there's something in your life that you're struggling with, a sin that you just kind of can't get rid of, something that just keeps plaguing you, call a trusted Christian friend and share your struggle. We often don't see how foolish and awful our sin is until we say it out loud. But once it's out there, it no longer has the same control over us. Being vulnerable about our sin allows God to take it, to pray that the Lord would protect us moving forward to offer repentance. That is where the battle is truly fought, is in prayer. Lastly, James tells us to be vulnerable to the powers of darkness by speaking God's truth. Let's be reminded again about Elijah, who stood up to the leaders of Israel when they defied Yahweh. King Ahab and Queen Jezebel had God's prophets murdered and set up altars all over the land to celebrate the false god Baal. And Elijah came before them and he said, here's the deal. Since you dishonored God, there's now not going to be any rain. Until I say that there's going to be rain when the Lord directs me. I didn't, I'm not quoting that right, but whatever. And so uh, that made them, of course, very, very mad. And so he flees into the wilderness to uh, make sure that they didn't kill him. And then uh, in that time, God directed him. God provided lots of different kinds of miracles. And then we have the great showdown in the desert between uh, the prophets of the Most High God, Yahweh, and the prophets of Baal. And uh, each side was supposed to take turns uh, praying that the Lord would bring fire from heaven and light a fire on this altar. And so the prophets of Baal went first, and of course they prayed and prayed and prayed, and nothing happened. And at the end of the day, it was Elijah's turn, and he, of course, poured water all over the altar and prayed to Yahweh, and Yahweh sent down fire that it just blew out everything. It's right after that that Elijah prays for rain. And the blessed rain comes and saves the land and the people. But the king and the queen are not happy in this act. They want to kill Elijah. And so he goes into the wilderness again, fleeing for his life. Here's my point. It takes a lot of courage to face the evil powers of the world to stand for the Lord, to administer his justice, to proclaim his truth, to defend the widows, to provide for the poor, and to work 
for the good that he wants us to do is to set ourselves up against the structures and the evil one in the world. Now, make no mistake, we are living ourselves in dark days. Every Christian of every generation has lived in dark days. And we have to decide not only who we are in Christ, but what it is that he would have us do for him. When we serve the Lord openly, speaking truth and living our faith out loud, there's going to be opposition. And some of us don't want that. We don't want to be vulnerable in that way. And James tells us, but Elijah was a person just like you and just like me. He got tired and he got mad and he doubted. And there were times that he was bold and he was selfless and he was inspiring. And other times he wanted to quit. But he was willing to risk his life for the kingdom of God. When James says here that the prayer of the righteous is powerful, he means it is potent. It is strong. Prayer is a power waiting to be released and a resource waiting to be tapped. So let's think about that. How is it that your prayers can make a difference? And when they do, we need to expect that there's going to be opposition to that. And are we willing to be vulnerable to that for the sake of the gospel? There's a quote from Dr. Brene Brown as we end that seems applicable for this passage. The paradox of vulnerability is this. Vulnerability is the first thing I look for in you and the last thing I want you to see in me. Can I get an amen about that? James believes that in sharing our weaknesses, both spiritually and physically, we will find new life of God in us. The truth is, most of us don't want to be fully open at all. We fight against it. We create barriers. Vulnerability is not something we like because it's so risky and potentially painful. But it is the way of Jesus. Jesus who gave up everything to become one of us, vulnerable as a baby. Submitting himself to the powers of the earth and dying for us. So the truth is, as Christians, we don't have a choice. To have his life in us, he calls us to submit and to surrender at every level. And it's only when we're vulnerable to his Holy Spirit that we will find transformation. And only when we're vulnerable to one another will we find true belonging. Where is God calling you to be more open in your life? In this time of quiet, let us seek him. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.